on this episode of The Jason Wright Show. I became a patent lawyer, but I always had this create, you know, this creative need. Like I, I like to be funny. I like to make jokes, and uh, I got into the law, and so I was just working a ton. But I just felt like something was missing, and I just was not feeling great because I could, I could tell. I just if I couldn't express this, I, it was almost like it was making me sick. Guys, I got to tell you something. I have a new favorite product. It is Pluck Seasonings. This stuff is amazing. And not only that, get this. You ready? Lean in for it. It is made with organ meats. Okay, hear me out. If you're like me and you understand and respect the unbelievable rich nutritional value of organ meats but you don't want to get all liver king and start biting into bull testicles and raw liver and spleens and all that well guess what there is an answer and it is delicious it is pluck seasonings try the all-purpose the zesty garlic the pure which is just a basically no taste ground freeze-dried organ meats that you can put in, protein shakes, recipes, whatever, to get the nutrients, but don't worry about the taste. And then there's the spice that is so good. All right, so Thursday night for Mrs. Wright, I made her ribeye tacos. And my ribeye tacos, there is nothing about them that sucks. They are absolutely amazing. But, but my friends, this Thursday was extra special because you know what I did? I made a little avocado salad, and I threw some of the zesty garlic pluck in there, mixed it up, put that on the ribeye tacos, game changer. So good, so savory, so delicious. And get this, Mrs. Wright commented on how delicious they were, had no clue that she had had a dose of spleen, heart, liver, kidney, all of it, and didn't even know it. So, oh, and some pancreas was in there too. How about that? I left one of the five organ meats out. It is so good. Check it out at eatpluck.com. And guess what? For the Jason Wright Show listeners, you, you can save 15% by using promo code IMPROVE because that's what we do around here, baby. We are improving always and always, and I want you to improve your nutrition. I want you to improve the taste of your food, and you're going to do it with Pluck. That is eatpluck.com, promo code IMPROVE for 15% off. I guarantee you will love this stuff. Go get some and enjoy. Get plucking, baby. All right. I am joined today on the Jason Wright Show by Wes Austin, patent attorney turned comedian. (laughs) Thanks for being on here, man. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, okay. So I got to tell the audience, this is one of the best parts of having a podcast is I, I, like so many other people, I, I peruse social media, and then every once in a while, a character stands out that I'm like, oh, this guy's good. And I started I started following you on YouTube and watching your shorts on just kind of quick political commentary, very, uh, very Comedy Central-esque from the old days of like the way Stephen Colbert showed up, and I guess that's how kind of Steve Carell, and I was like, oh, this is really good. And so... Uh, after watching you now for quite some time, I thought, well, I'm going to find out more about Wes Austin. And then I find out that you're an attorney. 
and that you and then you're also doing stand up. I was like, okay, I've got to invite this guy on and find out more about him. So so good to meet you, Wes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I know you saw me, you know, like clearly a midlife crisis like you can't believe. I've got to talk to this guy. <laughs> no, see, it, it's it, it's quite the here's the thing, man, and that's why this is so cool to have this conversation. Because I don't know, I we're probably similar age. I'm forty seven. How old are you? You might be younger than um, me, probably. I'm just a little bit older, just barely in my fifties, like okay, well, fifty-two. Okay, S- same, yeah, yeah. same, same uh, generation. All right, so at forty-ish, I, I took a completely different turn. I, I relaunched a book that I'd written previously, wrote another book, started the podcast. Very much like, uh, do you follow Rich Roll at all? Oh, I've heard his name and I've listened to some of his stuff before. Yeah. Okay, so Rich Roll writes his first book at forty-five, becomes an endurance athlete at forty-five. I think we live in a day where the, uh, there's so many more people that you're hearing, not the midlife crisis stories, but some sort of midlife launch, kind of almost like a midlife rebirth. And so it's interesting you bring that up because that's why the Jason Wright show basically exists. I just, at the midpoint of my life, whenever I was actually feeling kind of at a low point, I was like, you know, I want to do something that I just truly love and enjoy just for the fun of it. I want to create. And so it looks like you follow that path to some degree. And I think that's a perfect tee up to kind of start this thing. So how does this evolution begin from attorney to stand up? Where does the social media come in? Why the political commentary? Just kind of give us a flavor. Start where you want to, Wes. Um, Yes. So, uh, you know, I became a patent lawyer, but I always had this create, you know, this creative need. Like I, I like to be funny. I like to, make jokes and uh i got into the law and so i was just working a ton but i just felt like something was missing and i just was not feeling great because i could i could tell i just if i couldn't express this i it was almost like it was making me sick kind of because i just didn't feel great and so probably around um 2001 or 2002 it was right when the comedy club here opened i went because i thought okay i'm gonna i'm gonna try stand up and I went like three or four times and I was too scared to get on stage. And then I thought, I'll do this later. And then I didn't go back again. Dang it. So then, so then I waited, I don't know, it was probably another five or six, seven years. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make funny, short little videos and I'm going to just post these. Now, YouTube wasn't around yet. So I, my timing might be off, but this was before YouTube was big. Okay. And I started doing these funny little videos. And one of my colleagues, another lawyer in Salt Lake City, saw one, and he called me and he said, are you insane? You're going to get fired. No <laughs> clients are going to want to use you. You're going to be a pariah. Just get a... So I deleted. I stopped doing it, deleted all my videos, just went back to the law. So then finally, you, get, get her, you finally get around to like 2014, and I'm like, okay, I've got to do something because this is not great. So then I... I started with this. I'm going to do a web series. I it was looking back. I'm like, what? That was so big. I don't know what I was thinking, but it was exciting enough that I it got me out of my office and it got me to do it. And I started doing stand up at that same time. And then this time I stuck with it and I didn't quit, even though people gave me crap. Which I mean, I look back and I think, oh man, I quit twice. And if I just would have kept. But I was I was too worried about what everybody else thought about what I was doing, so I 
I had two false starts, and then uh, <laughs> 2014, I finally really started and didn't quit, and so I've just I've just been going on it ever since. So I feel like I have to stay here for a little while because you just uncovered almost just kind of like in drive-by fashion something that I think keeps so many people from pursuing their true calling, ambition, purpose, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and it's this idea of being, and I write about this a lot, and this audience has heard me speak about it as well as write in my newsletter about the fact that we get so caught up in what others think of us. Gary Vaynerchuk, it's one of the biggest things that he preaches, is you've, if finally at some point you've got to just finally say, I don't care what people think, because if you're doing something unusual, then everyone's going to treat you like you're doing something unusual. So um, how, first of all, how did it feel that first time you got up on stage to do stand-up? Okay, so the, it was in 2014 when I got up, and it it was an out-of-body experience. I was so, so scared. Like, I, <laughs> I was so nervous. Um, I thought I was going to throw up beforehand. It was just, and the crowd, you know, they, they told everybody this is his first time, and usually when they, they tell the crowd that, they're super nice and very giving, and they... And so the crowd was nice, but I was, I honestly didn't even know what I said when I got off stage. If somebody <laughs> said, what did you just do? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what happened. It was, yeah. it almost felt like my spirit left my body and looked down at mm -hmm. myself. It was so, but I kind of knew, I, I just knew I needed to do it, but it was also super scary and just that hurdle to kind of get over. Um, but anyway, that's how that first time was. So, I, I, and I, and that sounds like what most people that I've talked to that have had that experience. I've I've done some elements of stand up, but never gone to say, okay, hey, I'm Jason. I'm here to make you laugh. Always wanted to, and now I think that having with COVID behind us, I, I mean, I've done the same thing. Uh, you know, I live in Tyler, which is only 90 miles away from one of the very first improv clubs over in Addison, and. Um, I, I, I've absolutely got to do that because if nothing else, you get to a certain age, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the whole midlife thing. I always tell people that my when I turned 40, the best part of it was my I don't give a damn meter just pegged. Just I don't care as much because you start to realize that we're all on kind of borrowed time. We, we were all born with this death sentence, and it's like if you don't do it now – then, like Zig Ziglar used to say, okay, so you want to become a, law a lawyer and you're 50. Well, the only thing that's going to change it, it, by the time you're 55 is either, one, you start and you're a lawyer at 55, or two, you're 55 and you're still not a lawyer. It just, time's not stopping. So I really admire the fact that even though you had those two kind of uh, false starts that you finally got to go in on that. Um, so, and have you heard of, uh, or do you ever follow any of James Altucher's work? At all? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I listen to his podcasts, and he's somebody I really like. Yeah. So his deal, he was kind of the same way, kind of the same things that we're talking about. So James has reinvented himself, like, I don't know how many times. That's why I love the guy so much. He's almost yeah. – uh, he would never call himself this, but he's he's as close to a polymath or kind of like a, a modern-day Renaissance man as I can think of. And, you know, he went to New York and did a stand-up act on the subway. He, that's how he tested oh, his act, yeah. and then he ended up, and then he you know, he has this book, Skip the Line, which is fantastic for anyone out there about don't worry about just following normal uh, kind of conventions. Instead, find your own way to get where you want to go. Well, he wanted to do stand-up, so 
he bought a comedy club so that he would always be able to go up on stage. And, and he had, and you know, so that's, that was something he did. And I think that doing stand up is one of the most ballsy things you can ever do. So, okay. Enough, enough of that from me. Cause I want to talk more about you. Cause I think you've gone through a really, really cool <laughs> part of the thing of life. So that was 2014. Now, when did you, were the, were the very first shorts that you were doing that your uh, colleague, you know, kind of confronted you about said, oh my God, what are you doing? Uh, were those political in nature? Were they just, were they skits? What were you doing? And when does this little political take on things come into play? Back when I did my first little short videos. So this was probably, I don't know, 2006, seven, just, I might be off a little bit. Those were, <laughs> those were like little, uh, bathroom humor sorts of videos they had nothing to do with with uh, politics but they were more like you know some family jokes and bathroom jokes and just stuff that i thought was funny you know but that's kind of the vein it was in and um i don't know how many i did i probably did at least 15 or so short videos like that and uh i mean i look back and i want to kick myself because i think if you would have kept going and not stopped when youtube kind of came out and started to be get be something you would have had a whole you know like a whole catalog of videos to uh, anyway but i quit because i was scared so but that's that's what the first videos were like well and you know the thing is going back to what i was saying previously that at least you picked it back up into the listener and that's one of the things you okay the motto of the jason Wright show is to improve always and always and one of the things that i would tell any listener out there is listen please to what Wes is saying is that if you have endeavored upon something that you know in your heart of hearts you're never going to be settled until you pursue it don't stop I did the same thing now the grant now mine was a little different because I started out back man before there was even a um, before iTunes it was right at the edge of iTunes and podcasting was not even a thing I had an internet radio show doing political commentary and oh, I was I was the same way, man. Before there was a Ben Shapiro, there was the right side of the aisle, you know, my name, play, I play on my name. And I would come in every Friday and do a live, live internet radio. But like, who the hell is going to be listening to a live stream at that point through their computer? And then right as I finally decided, okay, I'm going to run for city council here in Tyler. I probably don't need to be doing that. And I just was like, this, this isn't getting the traction I wanted. And so I stopped. And rise us up. That's when iTunes came along. Podcasts became a thing. And I look at, I look back, man, and I go, oh my gosh. But the cool thing is, now I'm a silver lining kind of guy, Wes. And I think that had I pursued that role, I would have been kind of in that Ben Shapiro box. Or and I don't know that that's what the box I'd want to be in. It gave me more time to kind of just watch content evolve from YouTube different podcasts. The first podcast I ever subscribed to was Tim Ferriss's and started learning about all these different kind of, you know, things. And so, you know, just to say to you and and to the listener out there, at least you're here. And here's the thing I want to get to. And I, and I'm, I'm going to kind of do like a Joe Rogan here. I'm going to purposely play the idiot. I know, I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but I want you to, I want to tee it up to for you to describe to this audience kind of why, you actually create, even though the only benefit is for your own. Did you ever set out to do the first videos, the stand-up, or what you're even doing now to make a fortune, to become the next Jerry Seinfeld? 
or was that the goal? What was the ambition? You know, I no, like because I'm a lawyer, I kind of had was making a comfortable living, and so I knew the more I got into comedy, I thought, well, I'm not going to make any money doing this. I want to do it. I actually thought I'm probably going to. I need to have enough money saved that I can just. <laughs> live okay on not making as much money being a lawyer part-time because they clearly won't make a dime doing comedy uh or, or making these short little videos but i it just made i just i don't know how to really express it other than it, it made me feel good to to create and put something out and i knew from my life before when i wasn't creating anything i i really I was kind of sick, you know, I, w I mean, I mean, I was probably 25, 30 pounds heavier. My, my blood pressure was really high. Like I, one of the things that got me to actually start doing something was I was in a grocery store, you know, those little blood pressure things that you can mm -hmm. sit in and put your arm in. I did that and, and I saw the numbers and it was high. It was on the high. I thought, what, what is happening right now? I was a young, young guy. Um, so I do think I like, was physically kind of not as healthy as I could have been because I wasn't able, I know that sounds dumb, but I wasn't able to share and express this creative spark and it was kind of making me sick. I just yeah. wasn't, I just didn't feel good. And I think that is, and that's why I ask, and it's the same thing to, to people that set out to do things just for money or fame or whatever that, whatever other vain pursuits might follow the the real reward is just doing a thing to find purpose in it and so and that's why i do this podcast that's why i, I write my books is is it's not, i hope that people read it i hope that people find some sort of joy but more than anything the ability to find something to create and it also puts you in a flow state which i think is incredibly important uh you know they uh, the picasso's work ethic was legendary and it wasn't because P picasso was painting to add to his fortune he just loved what he was doing. And most creators and artists, you'll find that a guy that's actually been on the podcast that I discovered exactly the way I found you is a guy named um, Dave, uh, Dave Brubaker, who is, uh, he started Semi Stupid, where he does these deals where he puts himself in as a cameo into real movies. And that's his creative outlet. And now he's got oh, mi nice. over a million followers. He was one of the early ones on TikTok to do that. I'm like, and that's what we talked. And he and I, and I want to get into this with you because we kind of uh, exchanged messages offline that we're both into health and wellness and, and everything. And one of the things that Dave has realized is that this is just a part of his overall health and wellness protocol is it's his creative outlet, but he's also reading. He's feeding his mind. He's he's doing cold, cold, uh, you know, showers and ice baths and and the working out and all the. It's just kind of once you start to realize how to truly optimize life, the creative component can be a key to that. But most people think, well, unless I'm going to go do this professionally, why even why even pursue it? If I'm not good enough to be you know, a, to be a full-time stand-up or a, a full-time artist of some time, of some kind, why even pursue it? But like, it sounds to me like you've discovered that no, just having that creative outlet, it brings a fulfillment that in and of itself, that's where the value is, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I could feel it. And, um, you know, when I started that 2014, when I really started and kept with it, I could, I was feeling better. And my wife actually said, she said, you, I can tell you're a lot happier 
keep doing this stuff. And then, you know, and I, I don't know, I dropped, I think 20 pounds within that first year. And I wasn't, most of that, I really wasn't doing anything differently other than I was trying to be creative and doing mm -hmm. something. I felt like I was this little purpose I had that was kind of stuck and I was never doing something about it when I finally started to do something about it. I did. I just got healthier and I, I really wasn't doing that much different other than I was starting to express this creativity, which was, I've heard people say that. I'm like, that's dumb. I don't know. And then it happened to me like, maybe that actually, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what happens to you. It's like, okay, maybe there's something there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think, I think absolutely. Well, you know, you start to release dopamine in healthy ways, you know, creating one of your videos as opposed to what some people do, which is go snort a line of cocaine or drink too much or do something stupid, you know, or go buy crap they don't need. Instead right. you're creating, you, you know, you're, you're becoming a producer, not a consumer. Uh, okay. So when do you start take making takes on politics? When does that kind of get into the fray? Okay, so when I started my YouTube channel, which was probably 2018, I was doing, you know, I was trying to do something about a funny, funny patents, or I was digging into more legal topics and more of a seven, eight minute format or something. I couldn't get views to save my life. I like just could not. And, <laughs> and then um, somewhere along the line, I kind of did a short and, and, and I've always loved like the old um, weekend update on Saturday Night Live when I was young, yes, not what they do now. Back yes, when it, you know, uh, you know, Chevy and, and, Chase, uh, Gilda Radner, the the, the classics, yes. and then Norm Macdonald, yeah, yeah. which was oh, awesome. <laughs> he was <laughs> the master. He was the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that and and um, maybe John Stewart back in the old days yep. or Colbert back in the old days. And um, I kind of touched on that a little bit in a short. And I actually got a little bit of traction, and it was the only thing I had done on YouTube that got any kind of traction at all. And I thought, okay, I, that was fun. I liked doing it, and YouTube actually seemed to like it too. So I'm going to keep doing that because it was kind of a nice – it synchronized what I really liked doing along with YouTube actually rewarding what I was doing. Um, and also when I looked around, I thought – Okay, I see all these comedians from Hollywood. They love to make fun of conservative people nonstop. And I didn't see hardly anybody on the other side. Just like, I want to make my conservative friends laugh because yep. they can't watch anything. They're not, they're going to get ripped on because they believe in this or this or this. I'm, I want to be the guy who makes the conservatives laugh because there's only like three of us. Right. Um, <laughs> right. So. That was another reason why I did it. I thought it's just it's uh, so unbalanced right now, and I was hoping there would be a, a little niche for somebody to actually do that if I started really hitting it hard. Well, and the thing is, first of all, you just told me everything that so, I don't know. I, I take this as a confirming response. I knew that you would probably bring up the Daily Show, Weekend Update, and your because because your commentary, man. I'm telling you, it looks very. Uh, it, it, it looks seasoned. It's well, it's well done. And I, so I want to encourage oh, you. you to keep going. And two, you, you're exactly right. Conservative humor to this point has been non-existent. And that's the thing, man. Let's just talk about Saturday Night Live a, a little bit. So I, I was born in 75, the year that Saturday Night Live started. My dad, back when I was really young, worked nights before he and my mom 
divorced. And so I, so obviously 75, I don't remember <laughs> that season since it was the year I was born. But it was during those original cast days. I mean, Belushi, Aykroyd, I love the Coneheads. I, at some point in my very, very young life, I became aware of Saturday Night Live very early. And so it was, so I grew up during that, as did you, that golden era of SNL. And there used to be a time, yes, it always slanted left, but then now I, I told my wife uh, this past, um, I got the end of this maybe just a couple weeks, a couple weekends ago. I said, you know, it's really a shame because I would never even consider, it would never even hit my radar to watch Saturday Night Live now. Whereas there used to be a time that it was kind of like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I may, I may not sit down and watch the whole thing, but I would at least have it on. I wanted to be able to say, I at least caught a little bit. Of, and if nothing else, I would watch Weekend Update. Now it's so canned and you know what's happening. You, you know it's just going to be this bash on everything to the right. And that yeah. It's like... That's, and I, I've always been able to laugh at, like, I loved whenever Will Ferrell came up with Strategery and his his bush. Oh. It was so, it was gold, man. So, so good. Yeah. It's so it was so hilarious. <laughs> but I mean, and here's the thing that I think that a lot of the the left humor has done with in, on SNL, Comedy Central, and all those is there's a big difference between laughing at and laughing with, right? Like we can laugh at ourselves and you, let you laugh along. But when it becomes this just kind of slanted uh, activism, you know, cloaked in humor, that's not that that to me is something else. And what you have done, and what I love is the deadpan. It's 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 sarcastic without being vicious. I mean, your delivery I think is fantastic. Oh, How long did it take you to kind of find your voice to? To do that, or did, was this just was it natural? Was this has this been from the beginning to now? No, I, I definitely took me a while to get to get my voice there. I, I think I noticed that I would get good responses for the more deadpan delivery types of videos like that, and also sometimes on stage people would comment like your deadpan stuff is so good, and so I, that started me gravitating to do more of the deadpan delivery style on the on the shorts that I'm doing. So I think I kind of gradually started to get in that direction. And I'm thank you for, for saying that about not being too, um, like, I'm just trying to be funny and have people laugh without really attacking someone. And I'm, I try hard to not really go off on anybody. Okay, there may have been Colbert. There may be a few people where there's a little bit of sting to it, but very rarely, and I think they really deserve it. So, yeah. <laughs> but most of the time, we're just going to laugh about a thing and then and then be done. But yeah. Well, and I think that you, it, it's it, it's crazy, man. And, and I'm I'm hoping this gets you the exposure that you deserve. And and as a matter of fact, we'll talk offline about some. I may have some ideas for for your career about with with oh, some great. with some great contacts that I have that it, it, all they can do is say, yeah, I'm not interested. But I I think I don't think that will be the case. Um, <laughs> The timing right now is perfect because we are, look, whether you're on the left or on the right, we're going through a time where the absurdity of politics and, and the absurdity of this administration, I mean, if, and look, I know it's always, wow, the what if, what if, whatever. I mean, you know, feel free to DM me and send me emails, folks. But the bottom line is if you are, if you do not admit that if Joe Biden, God bless him, and he's my president, and I'm not going to make disparaging remarks about it, but if Joe Biden were a Republican, there would be such a slight—I mean, look what they did to Gerald Ford with Chevy Chase. One of the things that made Chevy Chase famous on that first season of SNL, right, is bumbling and going down the stairs. (laughs) 
I mean, Joe <laughs> Biden right. actually fell downstairs, more, fell upstairs more than once. It's, it's, I don't even know how you do that. And it's, we're, we're not supposed to laugh at it, but what you have done, but you have leveraged that absurdity without making fun of an almost octogenarian falling downstairs, which is not funny, really, other than he's the president of the United States. And so it's kind of weird. But you've made just this kind of deadpan note of how the silliness that we're seeing in Washington, D.C., in a way that, frankly, I don't see many people doing, man. So kudos. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. That means a lot. That means a lot. Yeah. It's hard to to try to thread the needle. Like, okay. Mm -hmm. I really want to laugh about this thing. I don't want to be too mean, but also it's funny and I am a comic. So we need to, <laughs> we need to be able to laugh at this without. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't like how uh, now it seems everything from Hollywood entertainment is okay. If it's, if it's something that somebody on the left has done, we can't touch it. Mm-hmm. If it's something somebody on the right has done, Oh, we are going to go mad hog on this thing. Mm-hmm. 24 7 yeah like you just could you yeah that's irritating well let's look at some of your handy gop takes the congressional majority they'll go after health care and by the way if they do that means not a joke everybody that's why we were defeated in, in 2018 when they tried to do it. we went to 54 states although president biden did refer to 54 states the white house has confirmed that there are still only 50 states apparently john fetterman was running the teleprompter that night please like comment and subscribe (laughs) let's let's get another one in here your dog and your cat they're causing climate change now i don't know if they're climate deniers but they're definitely causing problems last month cnn posted an article entitled our pets are part of the climate problem. These tips can help you minimize their carbon paw prints. In the article, CNN claimed that pets play a significant role in the climate crisis. They also seem to really have it out for dogs. The author conceded that you don't have to get rid of your furry friend. And it also said that people should not adopt the dog at all, but instead get a smaller animal like birds, turtles, or small rodents. You know, one of the dumb pets. So. It sure seems like they have it out for dogs in this article. Don't you think? Like, I think what they're saying. Wait, my favorite part of that whole thing was you go, I'm not saying that they're climate (laughs) deniers, but they're definitely causing problems. That's the the money in that. That's the the genius. They're not, not, I'm not saying that puppies are climate deniers, but they're definitely causing problems. That's, That's I'm glad you like that. That when I saw that story on CNN, I'm like, oh, I have. To and that's a video what, on this. that's this why so right dumb. now the news and politics is set up so perfectly for you. It's like a big basketball on a tee. <laughs> you don't even have to break a sweat. I love it. I, I'm sorry. You got to indulge me. I'm a fan, so we got to watch at least one. This. We got to watch one more. President video. Biden commented on the hammer attack on Paul Pelosi, and he tried to link this attack to January 6th. It's reports that the same chant was used by this guy they have in custody that was used on January 6th. The chant was, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Several media outlets have also tried to make this connection. Now, in my analysis, I have found one similarity. The security at the Pelosi home appears to be about the same level of security that the Capitol had on January 6th. It's so it's so easy. I mean, but but I say it's it's easy to see the humor. It's 
it's beautiful the way you are taking it and just going, okay, I'm going to throw exactly what you've said back to you and, and let you, and, but also let you in on the absurdity, which is a fun way of doing it. To, to your point, you don't have to be mean, you don't have to be malicious, and you don't have to sit there and beat your fist and be the angry get off my lawn guy saying, this isn't fair. You found a great way to get the message across, man. Yeah, thank you. I I have so many where I'm just like the angry the angry old man yelling about thinking I'm thinking Wes, you can't film that because that's not funny. That's not going to make somebody laugh. And so, oh man, there's so many where I can't. I haven't been able to come up with a yeah. funny video because I'm yeah. just too pissed off. Um, <laughs> but but I try to draw the line to say, well, I can't post anything unless there's arguably a joke in there. So I do. I do try to make sure there's a joke or I won't, or I won't post something. At least, I, at least an okay joke, you know, my attempt at a joke. But there, one of the things, today's, today's world is so crazy that there, there's always a bunch of people posting comments on YouTube where they say, like, is, it, is this guy serious? I don't think, I don't think that's really I, – I did one about nuclear war where oh, – what was it? Like somebody was saying that the bad thing about nuclear war was the climate change, and I was like – yeah, you know, it really that's really my biggest concern is this these nuclear if they could do and I couldn't believe them, the number of people saying, <laughs> Hey, nuclear war is really bad. I, I can't believe it. like um like okay. It's just well, yeah. I will admit just, I will admit, dude, um, that the the uh the first view that drew me in, I thought you were a serious commentator. I really did. I, so it, it's it's that okay. so for the people listening, you got to go check Wes's workout because you will think what and you know what it reminds me of. Okay, so are you familiar with Phil Hendry? Have you ever heard of Phil Hendry? Okay. Okay, I, I got to tell you this guy was I don't a know that I have. genius. And I don't know if he's still around or not because I don't listen to radio. This is back before everything was podcast and YouTube and whatever. So what Phil Hendry would do is he would create some I mean really off the wall topic for example, he came up with this idea, or it wasn't his. He was going to interview an educator that had this idea of rewarding children with sexual favors for good grades. Okay? So that's what an educator is supposed to be saying. Now, the, what the audience was in on, those like me that were in on, Phil Hendry was the educator in question, and he was going to be interviewing himself. So he would pose as, I'm Phil Hendry, and today we've got so-and-so from you know the Education Society of America that's going to tell us about new and inventive ways to reward children. And then he would make it sound like he was interviewing a person. Well, it was both sides were Phil Hendry. And people, and people that had not, and, and I was okay. always amazed. There would be people call, and he would get people to call in, and they would just be, and he would argue, you cannot be serious that you should actually provide sexual favors as a reward for a child. So he would, and and then the the person would like make their case, okay, we got to take some calls on this. And people would call just livid, never knowing that it was Phil stirring them up with this absurdity. It, it, like one time he had an idea that he had he had a guest on, which you can never get oh away with this gosh. now. He had a guest on talking about how who was of uh, of Latin, I guess it was a Latin guy that was saying that we need to raise more macho children. And the way we need to do that is we need to start them smoking at a younger age and acting and acting more like Desi Arnaz. <laughs> And so, his, oh his, so he was talking about how we need more macho men, and the way to do it is to get them to smoke and to act more like Desi Arnaz. 
Oh my god. <laughs> so so people would call in and go you know, Mr. Hendry, I don't know where you found this person, but this is absurd to suggest that a child should be smoking. And he'd go, I, you know, and, and Phil Hendry would be like, I am in agreement with you. How dare you say such a thing about, you know, and, and people, you know, those of us like me, we would listen and be entertained by the outrage. But yeah, it's amazing how many people must just be flipping through the channels back in those days and go, what the hell did they just say? Sexual favors for good, what? And then, so that's, I think what happens with the, and the thing we're living in a time now. Yeah where there is so much absurdity, when people come across you, you have to really stop and watch the car crash long enough to go, was that a real crash? Or was it not? Because I can't believe my lying eyes these days. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I think when somebody's seen a number of my videos and then they start to know, oh, okay, I kind of know this guy. He's a conservative. Then I think they'll they'll enjoy them without being confused. But yeah, some people, when they see the first one, they're like, <laughs> This guy's, I've, I've gotten so many like super mean comments and I know the person is a conservative and they're just really mad. I'm like, I'm making fun <laughs> right. of the other side. Like right, I'm with you. Right, right. This is dumb. Well, I think it's genius. So, so what's next? I mean, are you just going to like, kind of, do you have a plan? Are you just kind of taking this thing as it goes? What's, what's next? Um, like what I would love to do is get, I would love to be able to start doing a longer form show every week on YouTube. So my goal is to. I want to keep building my subscribers without I'm just going to keep doing shorts for uh, you know a while longer to try to get up a a pretty good base <clears throat> and then I want to add in like a weekly show because I would love to do something like um the old daily show with John Stewart only it's the daily show with Wes Austin and it's to make conservatives laugh I'm I'm just going to that's my audience that's me I love all of them and that's that's what i'm going to do because i feel like so i would love to get to where i could have one longer form show a week and keep pumping out all the shorts and uh that's my goal and i would love to just get that show to grow and grow and and uh hopefully get huge that that would be amazing but um i don't know what i'm trying to decide where you know the critical mass is but i'm just like I'm doing something that YouTube seems to like, so just don't do anything else for a while. <laughs> so I'm just trying not to, just trying to really crank on the shorts for a while. But I think I'm, I don't know, I think I hit maybe 25,000 subscribers, and I'm just slowly but surely building that. So once I get to a certain number, I'll try to add well, and, in that. And for the show the listener week. that's that doesn't know the difference between building a TikTok following, an Instagram following, or a um, or a YouTube following, I got to believe the most difficult one with the highest standards of algorithm, um, I don't know, whatever, discrimination or whatever is YouTube. So for you to have been able to build an audience of 25 or a subscriber base of 25,000 on YouTube, man, you're well on your way. And I think you're doing the exact right thing. I was actually hoping that's what you would say, because I do think you have, you have a niche that you have uh, fallen into that the, the timing is perfect. The humor is perfect. And I like you, you know, Jerry Seinfeld used to say about comedians that curse that it was lazy, you know, lazy, you know, gutter humor. Now, granted, I love old Eddie Murphy stand up. I do. I love Richard Pryor. So I, I they, I don't think those guys were lazy, but I understand what Jerry Seinfeld was saying. It's like, it's more, you have to challenge yourself to be really, really funny without just throwing in taboo. Right. And so what I like about your humor is what we talked about earlier right. is that you 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 notice the absurdity of a topic 
and but you don't come at it from a malicious, mean, or demeaning place, and you still get the laugh, which to me that's that's pretty cool creativity, man. I think that's really fantastic. Oh, thank you, thank you. Like I, I hope I hope if I ever were to meet somebody that I've had as a subject to one of the videos that I, I don't know, like Whoopi Goldberg. I've had a bunch of hers that have done really well, and I hope if I. <laughs> yeah and it's like i don't hate whoopee she's just but she says things that are kind of out there and so i just it's great uh it's great content but hopefully you know i would be able to get along because it wasn't too personal like a lot of the stuff i see on the from a lot of the people on the left who are you know colbert seth myers jimmy kimmel it just seems like Oh, they really, really hate this. Like, they're just going at this person. They hate him so much. Like, Ron DeSantis, it just seems like they hate him so much. Like, it just doesn't seem like you're being funny. It just seems like you really hate this guy. It's basically, your monologue is, I'm going to call this person names, which, I mean, I see that when I go to open mic. New open micers get up and they call people names. And you start to realize, yeah, well, that's not very funny or creative. Anybody can get up there and call somebody the f-bomb and yeah you'll get some laughs from some open mic crowd people but it's not i could could not could not agree more man and the thing is like um you know it's interesting you mentioned those guys because i I, you know charles krautheimer was the first one i think that said the difference between conservatives and liberals and the way we look at each other is conservatives think liberals are wrong liberals think conservatives are evil and that's a that's a big contrast and you mentioned jimmy kimmel so uh I know Ted Cruz is a, is a longtime friend, and you remember when they did the basketball game, uh, the one-on-one basketball game, Kimmel versus Cruz, right? <clears throat> At yeah. the end of that game, mm-hmm. you know, I knowing Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz, for and for those who only know him by the caricature version, I get it, but Ted's a, a, a funny, lighthearted, does not take himself too seriously. He's just a good, good dude, and. Um, and so he literally mm-hmm. went to that game with all, good faith, thinking, okay, politics aside, we don't agree on anything. But at the end of it, Jimmy Kimmel looks at uh, Catherine Caroline, Ted's daughters, and says, well, it must be nice to see your dad actually win something. Right, and, and that right, that was the that was the moment whenever I, and the guy, he's always come across here in the last five years, in, less, whatever, is just really angry and bitter. But that sealed it for me. I was like, this dude's just mean and... He's just nasty, and that sucks. It really sucks. Yeah, looks at look, looks at the girl. And says it's good to see you because he beat you know Ted beat him by one shot, I guess. And he says uh, he says, well, it must be nice to see your dad actually win something. Okay, who does that? You know who does that? But you know what? Ha- but you know what happens, man. They it, it happens on both sides that they live in this world where they can go completely off the rails, but that they get back into their safe cocoon, and everybody congratulates them for being who they are and saying the things they did and agreeing with them for the malicious comment. A lot of it's because they actually agree. A lot of it's because they're hangers on and they're just sycophants. But either way, the the idea of someone actually being just courageous and being able to, like, that's one of the things I really admire. It's crazy. I have complimented Bill oh. Maher more in the last, you know, six months than I ever thought I would. And and his podcast, by the way, I I, I would never, you couldn't pay me to watch real time. But his podcast, where he's had Dave Rubin, he's had Kid Rock, he has guests, that, and they, and he's, he doesn't have his, you know, clapping seals of an audience that are, I mean, mm-hmm. will laugh on cue. They know exactly what their marching orders are. It's just him one on one, 
and he has these great conversations to be able to go, you know what? We don't agree, but we can sit down and talk. I mean, he's had Ben Shapiro on. I wish we could get to a point where we could go back to that, but. Yeah, it's like, I remember way back in the day, I thought Bill Maher was like, wow, this guy is so far left and I can't even, but and now a lot of the stuff he says, like, hey, he's, he's really speaking some truth right now. Bill Maher is laying it down and he, he knows all of his friends on the left are going to go crazy on him. And he's still. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised at how much I like some of the stuff he says now. I think one of the things that is that he's experiencing since he actually will talk to conservatives is, I don't know if you saw that video of some young kid that went to a Donald Trump rally to see, he was a liberal, he, he went saying he was going there to make friends. And afterward, he was shocked at how many people actually were willing to be his friend and were being kind. And... It, <clears throat> It, it was great. He went there as kind of a tongue-in-cheek. I'm a liberal going to a Trump rally, and I'm going to see if I can make friends. And he would ask me, will you be my friend? And they're like, sure, I'll be your friend. And I think that Bill Maher, and in the recesses of his mind, has to see that hmm, this is very different. My own side will completely castigate me and will not have anything to do with me if I don't stay in line. Yet the conservatives, they don't try to proselytize me to their way of thinking, but they will listen to me and we can actually talk and laugh. And that's the way it used to be. And I hope we can get back to a point. You know, I've got a, uh, a buddy of mine over in the UK and he and I talk back and forth every once. He's one of the very few people I'll talk politics with these days. And we're on different sides of things. And, but we, but we know at the, at the heart of it, we all just want what's best. We love each other. We can laugh about. We can laugh at the. I can laugh at the absurd, at the absurdity of my side. He can laugh at the absurdity of his side, and realize that hopefully there's a lot of people somewhere trying to ju- just trying to make the world a better place without burning the yeah. whole thing down. Yeah, yeah, I totally, I totally agree. And I, I yeah. have a lot of friends who are, you know, on the left, and I feel like yeah, if we we just need more people actually trying to understand the other side. Because I think every most people, unless you get on the super, super far fringes of either side, people that are kind of just somewhere in the center-ish, they both have points of view. And if you can just kind of understand where they're coming from, it would get so much farther instead of these people are the devil and if they win, we will lose our country, period. They're going to kill your children. I'm like, what is happening? God, this is insane. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you know what? And I think laughter, going back, you know, bringing it back to what you're doing, I think laughter is such uh, an anecdote to the hate. Um, I, I remember back whenever I was growing up and watching, like, uh, All in the Family, yeah, the yeah. Jeffersons, you know, those uh, Sanford and Son, where you know, they, they were able to make fun of the absurdity of Archie Bunker and his racist views. And by being able to laugh at it, it wasn't excusing it. It was being able to go, that's really absurd. And then when you see yourself in the absurdity, then it can be healed. And I think it goes for both ways. If we could just get back to being able to laugh at both sides and not be called evil for laughing at one, don't you laugh at my tribe, you know, only make fun of the other tribe. If we just kind of, okay, and I think you know, there's a few, you know, Dave Chappelle is trying, Bill Burr, I could not imagine. So I don't know how much more stand-up that you want to do, but I couldn't imagine trying to be like go on a really broad scale unless you just realize I'm going to be like Rogan or one of those guys and just 
to hell with the consequences. You're not going to cancel me because I'm not going to allow it. Uh, it's just such yeah. a different environment. You know, the stand-up days. I do, so the videos I do on YouTube are kind of this, uh, you know, headline, political humor, kind of a quick joke. The stand-up I do on stage is not political at all. It's kind of family stuff, being a lawyer stuff, uh, you know, just being a guy who's trying to get in shape. So so I, I don't do any political stuff on stage at all. Um, I don't know. I just kind of evolved that way. I don't know if it's because uh, maybe I know when people are coming to shows, sometimes they they're with their wife or husband or whatever. And there's going to be a decent chunk of people who are on the other side and like, okay. so I try to do sure. stuff that has nothing sure. to do with, with uh, politics when I'm uh, performing in a club. But then my, my channel, yeah, is mainly for conservatives to make them laugh. All right. So you mentioned a couple of times about uh, taking care of yourself. You've made some changes that got you healthier in, in addition to, you know, uh, nurturing your creative outlet. So, what are the things that you're doing? What 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 are you doing to? Because that that is something I obsess over is uh, health and wellness, longevity, health span versus just lifespan. What are you doing? So I I have always loved weightlifting, and so I do weightlifting six days a week. Um, so I split my I do my body twice, mm-hmm. um, and then I try to fit in maybe three two or three cardios during that same week. Um, you know, and I, I do my, my fitness pal. I, I watch my calories like, you know, I just, cause I want to know how much I'm eating and, and what's going in. Um, I recently had blood work done and, you know, it looks like I had SHBG. I don't want, anyway, there was something called the SHBG that was way high. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to, <laughs> and I was trying to go super, super low carb and mm-hmm. I, was listening to some things and I think somebody said like if you're too low low carb for too long mm-hmm. that can cause that thing to go out mm-hmm. of work so I'm actually trying to work some carbs back in yep but I'm um, I'm old enough to where I can't just eat stuff without keeping track of what's going on right um, and um, yeah and I try I know the weightlifting uh, just for as you get older keeping the muscle mass is super important because yep. it's going to start to just decay so I'm, I'm trying to hit just stay really consistent with that um i'm still trying to get bigger but i'm getting harder to get bigger i've wanted to get bigger since i was like 12 yeah. and i still like yeah. if i could just get my arms a little bigger i think it would be better yeah well you know but that's but and that's the thing that um so you know i just had uh matt camberline who's a biologist at the university of washington uh one of the leading researchers in the country on health span and lifespan he's done a lot of work with david sinclair in fact they shared a lab at one time and david sinclair is the one that wrote the book um lifespan why we age and why we don't have to <clears throat> and and he hit between him and Peter Atia, who I listen to everything Peter says and read all of his work, Ben Greenfield, all of them say that resistance training is the key to longevity. But to your point and to the listener out there, the older you get, the harder, <clears throat> excuse me, the harder it is to add lean body mass. It's really, really challenging. And so I hear you. I mean, I've, I'm still in that stage where and it always gets on my wife's and, and every dude's nerves whenever I say this, but I still bulk really easily for some reason. And so I kind of, oh, do you? I do. And I still, and I, I bitch about that and I will admit it. Uh, but I don't worry so much now because I realize that for bone density and for long, for longevity, 
I need to go into my 50s, 60s, and 70s with as much muscle mass as I can because <clears throat> it's going to be harder to keep and maintain as I get older. With regard to the, um, the, the blood sugar thing as well and, you, and your, your blood work that you were doing, and yes, being low-carb for too long, I learned from one of my uh, mentors, Joel Green, wrote the book, The Immunity Code. I highly encourage you to check that book out. You would love it. Um, he, he makes the argument, and he's, he's right, he's done the research, that if you stay in ketosis for too long of a period, you know, our pancreas is like anything else. It will reduce its ability to produce the insulin that we need to control our blood sugar, and so therefore you have to have those stimulating feeding days where you actually give yourself a few more carbs to increase your insulin produ- production just to keep it in balance. And then another thing that I have added um, – as a result of listening to uh, Mike Mutzel, who has high intensity health, great. If you don't subscribe to his channel, you would love it. Um, is berberine? Berberine is one of the best natural ways to uh, to maintain your glucose levels. So, those are just is some. That a, is that a supplement you take? Berberine? Yeah, but it's all natural. It's essentially it's okay. it's, it's it's from a uh, it's from a, a root, I believe. I may have that wrong, but it, it is just it's a natural. Um, it's, it's a natural supplement, so it's not synthetic. It's not man-made and it has it like, for example, last night I was going to cheat and go have some Andy's frozen custard with Mrs. Wright. Before I go do that, I take two berberine. Anytime I know I'm going to have extra carbs, okay. I will, I will preload with a little bit of berberine to, and what it does is it keeps the spikes from happening. And that's what you, yeah. you know, as you know, you don't want that those people, that's what causes the insulin resistance is whenever you have these massive swings in glucose levels, and then all of a sudden your body just, you, you form an insulin resistance and we want to keep that, that sensitivity as long as we can. And berberine really helps to prevent those big spikes. So there's something. I'm going to, I'm going to go get some of that stuff. That yeah. sounds fantastic. Yeah. Like I got into a, a rut where, um, I was trying to, you know, lose a little bit of weight and I, was at a but I loved a cheat day and so I, I started yeah. doing this crazy thing where uh, my cheat day was on Sunday and it was it was crazy <laughs> like I would hit probably I'm still like five or six thousand calories like nuts yeah but then during the week I, w- I, I was having you know a thousand calories 1100 calories and then I was uh, reading and researching and I finally realized okay I shouldn't do that because I'm because I was basically uh, by starving myself I was kind of screwing up my metabolism during the so I'm trying to I've I've been working on getting my daily caloric thing back you know up to maybe seventeen hundred mm-hmm. slowly getting it higher to what kind of almost reverse the dieting a little bit to get get my metabolism so it's not and and I have been able to maintain my weight where it was even though I've been increasing those calories so I. I definitely was made that mistake of basically starving myself during the week so that I could just almost kill myself on a Sunday yeah. with, yeah. Like, yeah. with uh, bowls of ice cream and cookies and all sorts. So I'm, I am trying to correct that that I'd been doing. I need to email you some stuff. One of the things I learned from Joel in his book, and I actually took his uh, immunity, um, immune-centric health certification course, is um, – when you offset your meals, there's so many different things you can do. He, he makes the argument that the, the meal at hand, the, the, the meal that you're eating right now is not nearly as critical as the meal that happened before and the one that has after. And if you will offset that, that cheat meal 
with the right things. And you can't do this all the time, right? You can't just eat like crap. You can't figure in eating like crap. But what this, what the protocol that he suggests does, it, it allows for ad libitum eating, which, which we're all going to do. We're all going to have those social events, holidays, right. where we just, and you just be like, I want to enjoy this. There's a psychological aspect to being able to go and enjoy a good Thanksgiving meal and not freak out. And the ways you can do that with the berberine and like, you know, uh, another thing that's a great way to maintain insulin uh, sensitivity and to not have those spikes is like 30 minutes prior to a big meal where you, that you know is going to be kind of carb heavy is one to, I always, <laughs> My wife laughs at me. I will go into the bathroom before we're going to go eat a big meal at a restaurant, and I'll do like 40 air squats so that you can get some – you can lower your glucose levels in your muscles. And what will happen is your muscles are starving. They're going to be the first ones to take whatever you bring back in. So go do some air okay. squats. And then before you get there, though, eat like a handful of macadamia nuts or some walnuts, and those will, again, they will stabilize your blood sugar for the meal that you have at that time. So there's all these little tricks that you can do that just get your body into the proper rhythm where again, you always want to eat right. And then another thing, do you do any intermittent fasting or do you have a feeding window or anything like that? Yeah. So I, I usually will, I don't eat anything in the morning. My first meal is, is a smaller lunch around like one thirty, mm-hmm. and then, and then I have dinner at like six thirty, and then I'm pretty much done eating by, you know, 7:30 or something. So I don't eat. I have that. I am kind of intermittent fasting every yep. day because I just have that shorter window. Yeah, and I think that's smart. That's one of the things when people ask me, you know, like a great example. My my mom just sent me a text yesterday, and she said that you know she's like, "What is your your fasting schedule or whatever?" And the first thing I tell anybody when they want to lose weight or want to you know kind of get their uh, feeding window appropriated, I say, "Well, the first thing is just don't eat." within three hours of going to bed. If you just, if you'll just, which for me is like, I, I have a rule. I don't eat after eight o'clock if I can help it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then don't eat before, you know, 10 or 11. If you'll just do that, uh, it makes such a difference. And so, and also one of the things that I'm hearing from you is you're not consuming a lot of calories. And that's another thing that people don't realize. We don't need as many calories as what we've been told. This, this 2000 to 2,500 calorie diet that everybody got so fixated on, we don't need the amount of calories that, uh, like so many of the other recommendations with the food pyramid, that's absolute crap and everything else. Mm-hmm. So it sounds to me like uh, yeah. you got a good, pretty good protocol there. Well, oh, thank you. I, you know, before I started keeping track of my calories, I really, you really don't know how many you're bringing in until you actually like. Okay, I am going to keep track of everything. Like, don't guess. You you mm-hmm. really have to do everything for a few days, and then you're, then you'll, you'll be enlightened and they call holy crap i was having 2700 calories a day yep okay now you know see but it, when you when you're just guessing it, people are you're i'm usually they're so far off like just yep. keep track at least until you get your system down and then you'll know about where you are but oh man because you there's some things i you know when you realize how many calories are in it you're like okay i can't have a lot of peanut butter mm-hmm. because each little spoonful is, yeah. Well, and not only that, yeah. a lot of people don't realize this, that, uh, and by the way, yeah, there was research, I think it was uh, Sachin Panda or somebody did, was a part of this research that said that like 80%, some crazy number of people completely undershot their caloric intake. And it wasn't because they were trying to fudge. It's just like you said, they just really didn't know until they actually accounted for it. But also uh, all these 
industrial seed oils that are in almost oh. everything that are causing yeah. inflammation. And that's another thing that a lot of people don't pay attention to is lowering inflammation in our bodies. And most old people are walking around highly inflamed. You know, people that are really obese, the inflammation, that's why so many people that died of COVID where it, which was age related. And a lot of it was uh, morbid obesity their bodies were inflamed. So they're, so they've already sent out, you know, I know you usually have your stormtroopers in the back, you know, in your background on your videos, they've already sent the stormtroopers out to fight just to survive the, the bad eating habits they have. So that whenever all of a sudden now you get COVID they're exhausted. The stormtroopers are already, they've already been dispatched elsewhere. And so now, and so that's a lot of things. There's so many hidden things that people don't pay attention to. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, these guys, just wanted you to know they're, they're yes. nearby. It's <laughs> they right are, there. Which, which and, and maybe it's just my weird observant humor. To me, that's one of the best parts of your the consistency of your videos. And the fact that it's your background with just, oh, there's a couple of stormtroopers. There's a stormtrooper. Oh, okay, that's all right, whatever. I love it. You know, it's yeah. just that, that little subtle thing to let you know this is funny. I mean, that's, I love it. I, I started, I think I first set up my, 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 to film and I thought this looks so boring. I don't have anything. And I had a stormtrooper. So I put my little stormtrooper just back in the corner. I kind of liked it. And so I just kept with my, and then I liked it more. So I got a few more stormtroopers and now I've got like three. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a fun little quirky thing that I, I don't know. It just, it just made me smile a little bit more. Just seeing those those uh, dudes behind me, kind of just watching over what's happening. <laughs> well, Wes, you know, in, any set designer worth their salt has always said it's not complete until you get a stormtrooper, and it's not complete. It's just, I, I, I'm pretty sure that in interior design schools, they're like, okay, you must have a stormtrooper. Have you got a stormtrooper? <laughs> so I think you nailed it. Well done, sir. See, you're, you, you're, yeah, I'm sure there are so many people horrified. Like he felt. Why would he have those? Yeah. Nothing makes me more mad when somebody on YouTube calls them dolls. I just, I almost lose my mind. They, that's the one thing that would just send me over the edge. It's like, oh, I like your dolls. Ooh. <laughs> cool, Lucy. Oh, oh, why do you have Star Wars dolls in your videos? That I makes mean, me so mad. They're action figures. That's They're right. Stormtroopers. Show yeah. respect. <laughs> Well, Wes, okay, I, I hope this isn't the last time we visit, my friend. This has been fun, oh, it's dude. it's been wonderful. This, so I, fun. I want yeah. you to come back. I want to support your comedy any way I can. Tell people where they can find out more about you and catch you if you're doing any stand-up. Just where can people stay in touch with you, man? Um, I would say uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just go to Wes Austin on YouTube. Um, and then my probably my Facebook page, Wes Austin, and then Instagram. I think it's Wesley Austin on Instagram. Um, those you can keep up with me. I do perform quite a bit in and around Salt Lake City right now. Uh, I have a Dry Bar Comedy special. So if you go to Dry Bar Comedy, either on their Facebook or YouTube uh, pages, you'll be able to see some of my comedy. Um, and I'll keep hopefully keep posting st- posting comedy uh, like that. Definitely, the YouTube shorts will keep coming every day. So, if you are conservative and you want to be able to laugh about something, I hope you check out my uh, YouTube shorts.
Well, that does it for this episode of The Jason Wright Show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Texas Titan Media production. Fourth Wall did the music. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Please consider going out to jasonwrightnow.com and signing up for the Vitruvian Letter. Also, please go out to iTunes. It takes like 30 seconds to just leave us a five-star rating. It does wonders for the podcast. I would be so grateful. And with that, until we meet again, go crush it and endeavor to improve always in all ways. I'm out. Thank you.